1: Welcome to The Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom.
0: And I'm Nathan Seelove.
1: Today we have a great uh, episode lined up for you, and I just want to take a minute, now that you're hearing my voice back on the pod, to thank Jess for co-hosting last week. I really appreciate it. She was, she was an amazing co-host. She stepped in and did a great job, so I'm, I'm really, really appreciative of that. So thanks, Nathan, and, and thanks, Jess, if you're listening.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Jess and I... We seem to have good chemistry, which is probably a good thing Hmm. because, you know, we've been married for three years. Yeah, you know what they say,
1: those that that podcast together stay together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, And what was kind of interesting was that I think you and me are actually closer politically than me and her. Yeah. Like, she outflanks the shit out of me on the left. And I think (laughs) that you and I are kind of closer In that regard. But one thing I think is kind of interesting is usually I'm the bomb thrower and you're the measured one. Mm, And and she was uh, definitely uh, the bomb thrower.
1: The whole podcast (laughs) just took a huge swing to the left for the week that I was gone. I mean, yeah, I mean, like I'm out here skipping a podcast to support like, you know, late stage capitalism. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And Jess is on the podcast, (laughs) you know. Condemning all
0: capitalism. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So, anyway, yeah, I I just really appreciate it, and I uh, hope that our audience uh, enjoyed that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And so today we've got a great episode. We'll talk about. Um, some updated information about vaccines, as well as uh, debunking some of the, the crazy conspiracies that are out there about that. Um, <coughs> Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got a Carlson in your throat again? I got a Carlson <laughs> in my throat again. <laughs> um, and then uh, we'll talk about the outcome of the Derek Chauvin trial. And we will uh, close out the episode with... Um, more of a philosophical discussion about religion. So stick mm-hmm. around for that, for sure. And as usual, if you find value in the show, if you like it and you want to support it, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash perspectrum um, and throw us a couple bucks Helps
0: help support the show. You know what I find value in, Michael? What, Nathan? Knowing the COVID numbers.
1: Ah, yes. And that's uh, how
0: you transition. That's a great one, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what, so if you want to hear them? the COVID numbers... Throw us a couple dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so what are them COVID numbers there, Michael?
1: So worldwide, we have reached 145 million people that have gotten COVID, which is up from 139 million people last week, which is a nearly a 4.3% increase. Um, so like 4% is kind of what we've been seeing for the past few weeks. And that's, that's pretty high. Um, So far, 3.08 million people have died from COVID, which is up from 3 million people last week. So that's about a a 2.7% increase in total deaths, Um, which is still like, you know, it's not as high as as it was during the peak, but like, you know, still very far from this disease being over. Um, So far, we've, uh, in the world, administered 12 doses for every 100 people worldwide, um, which is you know, a great accomplishment, but very, very far from the objective. Um, unlike, you know, during the height of the pandemic, we're actually in better shape in the US. So, so far, 32.7 million people have gotten COVID, um, which is up from 32.2 million last week, which is about 500,000 new cases, um, which is actually, you know, it's, it's still a pretty widespread, but it's not that It's not much wider than we've seen. Um, And so far we've reached 584,000 deaths, which is up from 579,000 last week, uh, which is about 714 new deaths per day, which is finally below that, you know, thousand deaths a day mark where we were sitting for, for weeks. So that's really good. And in the US at this point, we've administered one dose to about 41% of the population, and 26% of the whole population is fully vaccinated. Um, so that's really where we stand apart from the rest of the world. As usual, when money's involved, we get it done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing I think is kind of interesting it's almost like we went from being one of the worst in COVID to one of the stronger countries in COVID. And hmm. it seems like that shift happened around January. I, I wonder what changed in <laughs> January that could have led to that happening.
1: Wide scale rollout of the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you transition to a conversation <laughs> about the vaccine. So I'm on a yeah, roll. So, <laughs> so we we definitely wanted to talk about the vaccine because I mean I know it's in the news, it's everywhere, and public opinion is improving on this. So, a Pew Research Center poll of public opinion about the vaccine now has sixty-nine percent of Americans saying that they would uh, that they're likely to get it or have already gotten it, while only thirty percent say they probably wouldn't get it, and that's a huge improvement from September, when fifty-one percent of Americans said they would get it and forty-nine percent said percent said they wouldn't. Mm. Um, and a, and a Monmouth University poll recently found um, similar findings, but even, even more popular that four out of five Americans said that they would get the vaccine, which is really within spitting distance of yep. herd immunity.
0: Yep. What was the partisan breakdown in those polls?
1: So that's actually a really interesting point because the gap between Democrats and Republicans in terms of their um, willingness to get the vaccine is actually wider than it than it was in 2020. So Democrats hmm. are now twenty seven percent or twenty seven percent percentage points more likely to get the vaccine than Republicans. So eighty three percent of Democrats say they would get it versus fifty six percent of Republicans. Wow. Yeah. Wow. which that is really Sad. remarkable considering that republicans are simultaneously attempting to like argue that biden should give trump credit for single-handedly developing the vaccine and yet yeah. also saying i'm not going to get this vaccine because it's not safe and that is the power of misinformation and disinformation especially from the media
0: yeah well what i what i also think is interesting about it is i know that there there used to be much more of an equal breakout when it came mm-hmm. to uh, the partisan ideology of anti vaxxers. It used to be a lot more like you would actually have a fair amount of leftists who would be anti-vaxxers on the, uh, on the idea of, well, we don't trust pharmaceutical companies. And then mm-hmm. you would have a lot of people on the right that would be anti-vaxxers because they don't trust science. So it's kind of interesting that it feels like they're consolidating on the right in this specific case. And mm-hmm. I wonder if it is just the nature of anti-science sentiment on the right, or if it's because they have been told this entire pandemic, basically, that... Um, this, this disease is not that bad. Like they've been hearing from Trump. Oh, it's, it's just the flu. It'll go away. So now here we're, we're out here coming with, um, oh, we'll, we'll come and get this vaccine. And and it's really important. And I'm wondering if people that are saying that they're not going to get the vaccine, it's not just the crazy conspiracy uh, theory people. It's not just like the crazy people we see online that says, oh, they're going to, you know, they're going to pump your veins with a microchip or they're going to like, it's going to be pieces of dead fetus in it mm-hmm. or, or whatever. I'm wondering if a lot of those are just simply people that are like, why would I get it? I mean, it's yeah, just the I'm not
1: going to get it. Cause like who needs a vaccine for that? Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. Also just like anti-government sentiment in general, like yeah. feeling that something that even though like it wasn't developed by the government, the government, I think people presume, had a much more important role in developing this, this vaccine. And so yeah. like it's more aligned with conservative ideology to distrust the products of government, regardless of what they are or how well they're put together.
0: But it was private companies want... that
1: made this. <laughs> yeah. Ex- no, exactly. Exactly. But it's very much seen, specifically probably because it's being distributed by, at least um, coordinated by the government, that it's like a government thing. Yeah. Um, One thing I do want to emphasize, though, is like even though it's becoming you know even more uh, popular to get the vaccine, herd immunity is really really important, and we don't know where that is yet with COVID, which is critical. So, just as a refresher, herd immunity is when you get indirect protection for people that aren't that don't have immunization to the vaccine from people that do. So when when the transmission among a group of people goes down because there are pe- there's a high proportion of people that are immune to the disease, it protects everyone, whether they're vaccinated or not, yeah. which is really important because, especially for people that can't get the vaccine, people that can get it and do get it are then passing along that protection um, to those people that can't for whatever reason. Yeah. So the thing is, like, herd immunity is different points. So for something like the measles virus, it requires 95% of the population to be um, immune in order to reach herd immunity, versus for polio, the threshold's at 80%. And the fact that we don't know where that is yet for COVID, we have guesses around, like, 75 to 85%, but because we don't know where that is, and the fact that still, like, 30% of people say they don't want it, that means that, you know we might not reach it. And so you might still have this this thing in society where people are still getting sick from this disease and dying from it, yeah. even though we have a safe, effective method for, for preventing that.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, one of the biggest uh, drivers of that sentiment is right-wing propaganda. Yeah. There's a lot of misinformation and disinformation, and also just misleading questions Mm -hmm. that are being asked. So there's one very important point that I want to bring up and I want to do what we often do, which is I want to, I want to steel man the argument for a second and then explain why the steel man doesn't actually hold up and why it actually is an argument in favor of more vaccines. So the argument is as it stands, health experts are still suggesting that even if you are vaccinated, if you go out in public, you should still wear a mask. You should still be taking precautions. So then the argument is, okay, so if I'm trying, if if I need to wear a mask, even though I'm vaccinated, then doesn't that mean that the vaccine isn't effective? Like, if it is effective, why would I need to wear a mask? And if it's not effective, then why should we take it in the first place? And this has definitely been pushed by once again, our, uh, one of our favorite ass that's, asses that keeps on hatting, uh, Tucker Carlson, <laughs> um, who, uh, never ceases to amaze me that he has never heard of Google when he asks questions like, Oh, <laughs> how do we know how effective the vaccine is? Answer the question. Why haven't you answered that? These are just basic questions. Yeah,
1: take, and series a- like, the Moderna vaccine is ninety percent effective. <laughs> it's like shut up, Siri. <laughs> <See, laughs> right, I didn't ask you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so like like Michael said. So, um, according to according to uh, previous clinical studies regarding the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, they're around um, ninety four to ninety five percent effective. And one thing that's important to note about that is that if they aren't effective 100% of the time, that in and of itself is explains one of the important reasons why it's still important to wear a mask when you have not reached that herd immunity. Because mm-hmm. you could potentially be a part of that 5% and potentially spread it to somebody else. And if not enough other people are vaccinated, like if if a large percentage of the population is still not vaccinated, which as it stands, I believe that around 50% of people... Uh, have at least one dose, and about a quarter have both have uh, are fully vaccinated. Um, you still have the opportunity to spread it. Also, they're still waiting some potential uh, results of whether or not it can prevent the transmission of the virus. Now, one thing that's important to note: there's a difference between the virus and the disease. The mm-hmm. virus is the novel coronavirus, right? The um, and that actually causes the disease to happen you have to be infected with the virus which then creates the disease which is basically the your bodily reaction um when you are infected with the virus so what they're saying is you could potentially get the virus but not get the disease but because you have the virus you could potentially spread the virus to someone else yeah um and they're still awaiting uh some additional studies to see whether or not it can prevent the spread of the virus. And that that, difference
1: is super important for the argument to get the vaccine. Yeah. Because if it in fact prevents the disease, so the manifestation of being infected with the virus, but not the transmission of the virus itself, then you're still looking at the portion of the population that's unvaccinated being at potentially high risk for contracting the virus that then develops into the disease because if they're yeah. not vaccinated, they're not protected against the disease and people are walking around transmissing among themselves a harmless virus.
0: Yeah. And, and the other thing is the argument that I've been seeing is, well, if it's not 100 percent effective, why is it even worth it? So here's <laughs> here's here's something I would like to point out. So, Michael, um, if I were to say think of it de- about a disease that was terrible, that was horrific. That destroyed lives and ended lives that no longer exists today in any form. What's the first disease that comes to mind? Smallpox? Smallpox. You know what the percentage of efficacy was for the smallpox vaccine? No, I don't know. 94%. Hmm. The exact same.
1: <laughs> yeah. The only disease that has been eradicated from the yeah. earth.
0: Completely eradicated from the earth.
1: Let's be clear also that like when things work in your mind, that is a binary thing. It yeah. either works or doesn't work. If you put, if you have birth control, it either works or doesn't work, right? No. Everything has a statistical probability of working or not. Yeah. When you repeat an experiment... In the limit, there is always or there can be a failure unless the probability of of happening is 100%, which is super rare. Almost nothing that you do is a sure thing. And so the idea that you shouldn't do anything that isn't a sure thing is like totally nonsensical, especially when it comes to something like um, taking precautions, taking risks,
0: you know, like wearing a seatbelt like wearing a wear, seatbelt. When you go into a car, you wear a seatbelt. Now, it's very possible that if your car caught fire and blew up, that seatbelt wouldn't protect you that much. But if you yeah. were in a head-on collision, um you might get ejected if you're not wearing that seatbelt. Yeah. Like seatbelts save lives. Not yes. 100% of the time, but a significant yep. portion of the time that warrants us like wearing them constantly. Even though we don't expect we're actually going to get into a car accident when we get into a car. Yeah. We just and that's, do it. <laughs> that's the big thing. That's the big thing. Think
1: about it like this it's not about the probability that something fails. It's about the probability. It's about the difference between the probability of a bad thing happening if you didn't take the precaution versus if you did. So it's not about the probability that the seatbelt won't save your life. It's about the probability that you would die if you weren't wearing it. So think about this it's not about the probability that the vaccine doesn't work for you. Which is like, you know, six to five to six percent. It's about the probability of getting infected if you don't have the vaccine. You are 95% more likely to be infected if you're exposed to COVID if you don't have the vaccine. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it's just. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's basically what the measures of effectiveness are. And yes, we're definitely still learning about these vaccines, but but the news, generally speaking, especially on their effectiveness, is very good. Yeah. Including likely lowering transmissibility. Some preliminary studies have come out about that. And including making it less likely for people that are infected with the disease to actually spread it, even if they do are one of those people that experience symptoms because the symptoms are reduced, the viral load is reduced, and so it makes the disease less contagious from those people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Another important development in this whole story that I think it is worth bringing up, and I think, you know, as a show that, does pride itself on trying to be intellectually honest. I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention this. And Absolutely. that would be the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The, yeah. the recall, or not the recall, the pause of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine following, uh, I believe it was six cases of blood clots following yeah. the use of the vaccine. Um,
1: yeah. Among about seven million people that have received the shot in the yeah. US.
0: And of those six people, last uh, like the, the last article that I looked at Only one of them had actually died. um, Yes. And the rest of them were hospitalized, but uh, it didn't look like they had passed away. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really important to note about this is that correlation doesn't always equal causation. Yes. So it is true. I mean, obviously these cases do exist. And obviously it happened after they took the vaccine. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that the vaccine caused it to happen. You know, you could take multiple different cases of, um, of rare diseases, rare conditions. And if you were to measure what happened within the days leading up to those conditions, and then use those numbers in order to try to demonstrate whether or not any, any number of things that you did, like whether it's the food that you ate or, I don't know, the content that you consumed uh, on television had anything to do with it, then it would skew the numbers because a blood clot is an incredibly rare thing to happen. A, a, a blood clot in the brain is a very rare thing to happen. So what I think they're going to end up doing is they're going to zoom out and look at the broader population, look at the broader population of uh, the people within the entire United States, uh, specifically within the the demographics that they they had studied, which I believe was uh, women under the age of 50, and see how, you know, if we were measuring this proportionally, how many, uh, if we took a random sample of 7 million people in the United States, Mm -hmm. would around the same amount of those people uh, within the same amount of weeks uh, encounter a blood clot? Could that potentially happen within within a certain amount of time, you know, for for no reason whatsoever? And if the answer is yes, then that kind of demonstrates that there probably isn't a causal relationship. Um, Yeah. So, again, that that isn't to say that it's not worth being cautious. That isn't to say that. Right now, doctors who are talking about potentially putting warning labels on the specific on the, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine just so people are aware that isn't to say that they shouldn't do that. But it is to say that you like the headlines make it sound like it's a lot scarier than it actually is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's absolutely right. Like your point about the statistical testing is really important you know it's it's not just about how often it occurs in your test population it's about the comparison of that to your control population i.e. people that didn't receive the johnson and johnson vaccine yeah um and and importantly <clears throat> you can statistically measure how how different those numbers have to be in order to draw a significant a statistically significant connection between those blood clots and the johnson and johnson vaccine so these are the kinds of analyses that the FDA and the CDC are doing right now as they think about, as they put a pause on this disease. Yeah. But even if there was like a, a coincidental factor, say a genetic factor or something that combined with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine caused it, this like causal relationship, you should think, you should consider how likely it is that you have that combination. Yeah. Because six people of 7 million people makes that probability And that's rounding up. (laughs) And so like, and, and the probability of dying, it makes it, uh, 0.00001%. Yeah. So like the probability of this actually adversely affecting your life is as close to zero as you could hope to get. And so, uh, it is out of an abundance of caution not to do harm that this has been paused, especially in combination yeah. with the availability of other vaccines. Yeah. But personally, I'd get the vaccine in a heartbeat. I would get this yeah. vaccine over the other vaccines just so I didn't have to get a second shot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that is the advantage uh, the the advantage of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Yeah, like I think that it could actually create more protection because you might have some people that maybe take one dose of. Uh, of Pfizer and are like, well, I guess I'm protected enough. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Also, I think it's important to note that this should also demonstrate to you how careful the FDA is, how careful the CDC is, because again, like, like Michael pointed out, a less than one in one millionth chance of this actually happening, and they put a pause on it. So that should really tell you how safe they believe that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are. The fact yeah. that something as monumentally rare as what has happened with these particular uh, vaccine, uh, th- these particular women uh, with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that that's all it took for them to put a pause on Johnson & Johnson. Mm-hmm. And and of course, you know, I... like like all life is precious and uh we do want to make sure that um that vaccines are not uh, in any way dangerous so i think it makes sense that you want to put a pause on it just to just to be careful and you know if if it is potentially a genetic predisposition um that could potentially cause an increased risk of a reaction to the johnson and johnson vaccine i you know i think it makes sense to Take some additional it. precautions. Yeah, yeah. Figure it out. See if you can track it and you know, see if you can make sure to avoid giving it to people that might have that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think all of these make total sense. And to Nathan's point, it should give you more confidence, not less, yeah. in the processes that have been undergone to study these vaccines.
0: So the fact of the matter is, if you are annoyed with people saying, hey, you should still be wearing a mask even though you're vaccinated, the solution should not be okay, fine, I'm not going to get vaccinated. The solution should be, I'm going to get vaccinated because the sooner I get vaccinated, the, sooner, th- the closer we get to that herd immunity and the sooner we can all just start like not wearing masks anymore.
1: So now it's time for a more lighthearted segment, a good actually. So Nathan,
0: why do we do good actually? Well, we do good actually... Because sometimes the world feels bleak, it feels dark, feels depressing. But every now and then, if you really look around, you realize that good actually is everywhere. Good exists, and it can be found. So, Michael, what is our good actually story this week?
1: So, this week, I was actually surprised that this was going to be, that this, uh, this came about But it's actually about a a sheriff's department in Pulaski, Virginia. Uh, And so in in Virginia, they're about to uh, decriminalize uh, marijuana. And so this sheriff's office put out a statement on their Facebook page um, about that update in just like a classic example of police trying to enable their constituents To abide by the law, but operate, you know, according to a new law to the fullest extent of their like freedom and their ability to make their own choices, um, but just to make sure that everybody knew what was up. And so I just wanted to read a little bit of that statement to you because it is awesome. So it starts off. Happy 420 Day to all you blazers, smokers, jokers, and midnight tokers. Marijuana laws in Virginia's can be described as the old saying goes. The times, they are changing, and starting July 1st, 2021, much will be changed. Please, please, please do your own research concerning the use, possession, and cultivation of the devil's lettuce. And by research, I don't mean asking your Uncle Ricky after he's just tapped out a three-foot tower bong and and is covered in Doritos dust. That would be like going to a gentleman's club and believing every dancer that says you're their favorite. If you choose to partake in the happy herb, it is your responsibility to know and understand all the laws and the specific dates that pertain to it. So they go on to like walk through in, in a great detail and in that same kind of tone, like the very specific laws that are changing and opening up in the United States. And, uh, and at the end, they say, and before anyone gets all fired up thinking that PCSO is promoting the use of the righteous bush, we ain't. We're just trying our best to keep our community safe and informed. If a person decides to wake and bake legally while they are blasting a hitch and ride by Boston without disturbing their neighbors, that's totally their choice, dude. We just want everyone to be safe and go home to their families and dogs and unicorns and cats and fish and lizards and stamp <laughs> collections and Dale and Heart and Hart memorabilia. <laughs> and, and like I read that post and I was just like I was blown away by how authentic and and focused on the right stuff it was. And that made me yeah. really happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I I never thought that a police story would make it on, on TikTok, Yeah. Or I agree on good actually. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I mean, that does, I think that does demonstrate what police should be. It's mm-hmm. like, here are the laws. And, and, and it also kind of does demonstrate what I hope is a continual shift away from the war on drugs. Yeah. Um, because I mean, one of the biggest things that has caused so much, uh, hatred and vitriol between the you know the community and the police has been the war on drugs the fact Mm -hmm. that the war on drugs basically gives like some police departments a license to act like an occupying force in a city which is just ridiculous Mm -hmm. and so the fact that they're taking the approach of hey this is what you can do um let's educate you about the laws we're not here to take away any rights we're not here to tell you what to do we're just going to say hey Here's what, you, here's what you need to know. Um, and also doing it in a way that is kind of funny and authentic, you know?
1: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So that's good, actually. So for our next segment, we wanted to discuss the uh, righteous outcome of the Derek Chauvin trial.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was holding my breath yeah me too uh, I, I was actually watching it live uh, mm. as a, as it was happening and the thing is I I stand by what I said the, the in the previous pod I was thinking it's it could go either way I, yeah. I was saying it's 50-50 at this point cuz you almost never have cops actually charged like yeah. I can't think of hardly any examples like the only example that comes to my mind is that one cop that straight up walked into the black guy's apartment and shot him. Hmm. Like cuz apparently she she claimed that she thought she was in her own apartment. She actually got charged. Hmm. But like, you know, Brianna Taylor, uh, Eric Gardner, um Michael Brown, it just cops almost always get off. Yeah. And I really would not have been shocked if if he had gotten off. Yeah. And I agree. And I think that the fact that he was still charged just speaks to how blatant and obvious the outcome was.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we walked through, as we were talking about the trial, some of the arguments that the defense was making. And I think what we talked about at the time was how all of these arguments to a sympathetic jury absolutely could land. Like each one of them was targeted specifically to undermine the specific requirements of each charge, second degree murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. Um, And so, you know, it really, uh, when when we finished that segment, my mind was, I thought that the chips were stacked in favor of him being acquitted because reasonable arguments plus being a police officer in this country means immunity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Although one thing that made me wonder if he did have a better chance of being convicted. I I don't know how much of the uh, closing statement you watched, Mm -hmm. but they were abysmal. Really? Like the the, the closing statement from Derek Chauvin's lawyer was so bad for a brief second. I almost felt back bad for him. (laughs) Almost. I didn't because fuck him. But like he started out by basically saying, um, A criminal trial is like a chocolate chip cookie, all right? You need several ingredients to actually make a chocolate chip cookie. You need flour, you need baking soda, you need sugar, you need chocolate chips. And if you don't have any one of these ingredients, then you can't make the cookie. Well, criminal trials work the exact same way. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Oh my
1: God. Does he know that he's in a murder trial? I don't like I, <laughs> and on the other hand you have the the um prosecution's closing statements basically yeah. saying look with your eyes at what you saw.
0: Yeah, it's okay to believe your eyes. You saw a video yeah. where Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck for 9 minutes. Yeah. You can believe what you see. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And And also, uh, another argument that he made, which this this argument has been debunked so many times, and it's actually an argument that I'm kind of, that is really concerning that they're still bringing up, which is, if he could talk, he could breathe. Which that (sighs) claim has been widely debunked many times. And unfortunately, there have been many cases in which autistic children uh, have been abused by uh, police officers and sometimes teachers with a very similar sort of like knee on the, their the, their back. Hmm. And basically the teachers and the police officers are taught, oh, well, if they can talk, they can breathe. So like don't listen to them if they say they can't breathe. And, and they'll, they'll do that to autistic children in order to try to, you know, settle them down when they're having a meltdown, which I can tell you as an autistic child, that's not how you stop a meltdown. Um, So that has been widely debunked. It was widely debunked in the trial and it's been widely debunked many times before the trial. But the stupidest argument that he made, which again, this argument is a huge part of what made me almost, almost, almost feel bad for Chauvin. And that was, Hey, there's nothing inherently wrong with being in the prone position. Lots of good things can happen when you're in the prone position. You can sleep. You can get a massage in the prone position. What the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. But you usually don't have someone's knee on your neck while you're trying to sleep.
1: Yeah, it's not just the prone position. It's, it's not it's the having fact that he was a 170 in the prone pound position. dude fa- on your throat. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he was in the Christ. prone
0: position with. A knee on his throat. Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so after watching that, I was like, okay, have they just given up? Yeah. I mean, I mean maybe they did. Point, maybe
1: they were just like, I mean, maybe that's why Chauvin wasn't surprised <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when he well, heard the game. Well, commission. no, I
0: did It was interesting. I did. He did seem to have a sort of blank look on his face. Mm-hmm. Like, I was expecting tears, but no, he kept a completely straight face and. Like, part of me was wondering, is this guy, like, aware that he is on national television and he's trying to, like, play for the camera, or is he just a fucking sociopath?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Which both could be true.
1: Yeah, both <laughs> could <can> be true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so he was convicted of all three charges in this case. So yeah. just to reiterate, there's second-degree murder, which is a conviction for unintentional murder, uh, which... You know, for which the prosecution would have to prove that Chauvin caused Floyd's death while assaulting him while committing felony assault, which is really interesting because, um, you know, a police officer restraining someone is not always felony assault. And so that's really interesting to have found. But again, like, duh, he was like clearly doing that. And then third degree murder requires that they prove that um, he caused someone's death by perpetrating an act that was imminently dangerous without regard for human life. Um, so that's clearly the case, and then second degree manslaughter is proving that um, he was culpably negligent and took unreasonable risk with Floyd's life when he when he restrained him. Um, and so these sentences ca- could actually be like the sentences attached to them, which will be decided in a in a sentencing hearing in about seven weeks, um, could actually be stacked. On top no, of they, each other, not
0: not in not in Minnesota,
1: but not in Minnesota, exactly. So so, his total maximum that he could possibly face uh, would be like forty years, but the sentencing guidelines um, recommend, you know, like 12 and a half years, and it's yeah. it's almost never the case that that a um, a judge will like go to the sentencing maximum. When the yeah. sentencing, when it's like so different from the, the, the guidelines.
0: Yeah. Although what's interesting is that um, the prosecution is trying to prove that there should be a special aggregating factor clause um, hmm. in order to argue for an upward sentencing departure. And in this case, uh, those factors include, number one, uh, Floyd was handcuffed and particularly vulnerable, vulnerable when he was killed. Number two, Floyd was treated with particular cruelty. Number three, uh, Chauvin abused his authority. And number four, the crime was committed in front of children. And what's interesting is that normally in, in Minnesota, they would have to basically have another hearing in front of a jury and the jury would have to determine whether or not those factors were involved. Um, but Derek Chauvin actually waived that. He hmm. actually waived whether or not um, he, he actually waived his right to have a jury determine those factors, which means so does that, that thing his fate.
1: Go to a judge?
0: Yeah, it, his fate is completely up to the judge at this point. Gotcha. Uh, whether or not the conviction is going to happen. And I've been seeing some conflicting articles basically saying, like, oh, yeah, for uh, experts arguing, yeah, like it's probably going to be more than that. It's probably going to be like 20 years or so um, because those seem like they're going to be very provable. Um, But I've also seen some articles that say the most likely scenario is he's going to go with the recommendation, which would be um, 12 and a half years, which is something.
1: It's something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think that's a huge takeaway from this case in general. It's, it, it was a huge sigh of relief to see the bare minimum of justice done yeah. when it is so rarely, when that minimum is so rarely reached.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But George Floyd is still dead.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and this ain't going to bring him back. This won't bring him back. And there's nothing that has changed except for one man ha- is going to prison.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so no, nothing is different this week than was, diff- than was the case last week in terms of how much danger black Americans face every day at the hands of police.
0: Yeah. And I think that nothing is characteri- characterizes that idea better than uh, Nancy Pelosi's reaction to this. So I have often criticized Nancy Pelosi for various things. This is something that was just cringeworthy. This was this was one of the most tone deaf things I've ever heard from a politician. So she was giving a speech uh, at an event with the Congressional Black Caucus on Capitol Hill after the after the verdict, and she said, quote, "Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice." Jesus for being there to Christ. call out to your mom how heartbreaking that was. And because of you, your name will always be synonymous with justice. Oh, my fucking God.
1: Oh, my God. That is such garbage. Yeah. That makes me livid. Yeah. For, for multiple reasons. Obviously, it's incredibly tone deaf. Like, yeah. obviously, no one volunteers for this. Also, the I, the implication that yet another black American man must be killed. Yeah. In order for us to get the fucking message. Yeah. And, and while at the same... while in the same, like, two weeks that this trial was going on, like, more... Black Americans were killed. Dante mm-hmm. Wright was shot by a police officer at a traffic stop. On the day of this sentencing, Makia yeah. Bryant, a 16 year old girl, was killed by police.
0: Black lives are not an object for your political narrative. The thing, the annoying thing is, I am worried that Democratic politicians like Nancy Pelosi will will see something like this, say justice was served, the world is just, and slow down calls for criminal justice reform.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The thing is, the, 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 the point is, and the, 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 the point that we all need to be making to Democratic politicians is this should never have fucking happened. And the fact that it happened doesn't represent that we have doesn't just represent that we have problems when it comes to sentencing police officers we obviously do yeah but we also have problems in how we train police officers and the expectations we put on police officers in the things that we call on police officers to do yeah and that that is when justice is actually going to be served justice doesn't just come with convictions it comes with reform you have the power to do that nancy you have the power to do that. Fucking dis- do something.
1: It disgusts me that anyone could imply that this is the system working. And now it's time for one of our favorite segments <laughs> Ass Hat of, of the, the week. week. So, Nathan, who is our
0: ass hat this week? Well, Michael, we have one of our favorite newcomers to our collage of ass hattery. Georgia representative Marjorie Taylor, Jewish space lasers green. Oh,
1: wow. Again, in such a short amount of time, she's really making her name a name for herself on this show. She's an overachiever. I know she could like, she could just ass, ass hat all, 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 all. (laughs) She's the ass hatter.
0: <laughs> Ass hat all the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like having a tea party in Alice in Wonderland, but her face is a butt. <laughs>
0: you calling her a butt face?
1: I call it her butt face. Yeah, the the ultimate insult. <laughs> so Nathan, what did uh, Marjorie Taylor, Jewish space lasers, Green do?
0: Well, our uh, our intrepid re- representative decided that it was time to create a new caucus in, the, in, in uh, the Congress for Republican members, specifically to, quote, follow in President Trump's footsteps. In The important part of this is it's an anti-immigration agenda, but specifically, it is about uh, upholding, quote, Anglo-Saxon political traditions. <laughs> which is not <that> a <laughs> dog whistle. It's a bullhorn, yeah. That means white.
1: <laughs> there isn't such a thing as Anglo-Saxon political traditions. Yeah, I mean, I mean, okay, maybe the Parliament, maybe Magna Carta. <laughs> yeah. Not there. Oh my God, that's ridiculous.
0: I mean, sacking Great Britain, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Know, from there the you go. Drinking
1: mead. <laughs> Um, getting
0: taken over by the Normans. Yes.
1: Uh, killing the King's deer, having King's deer. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that's what she's standing up for. Yeah. That's no, I hunch. don't think
0: it is either. So what's funny is Jesus when she did this, she was universally like pummeled by the media who were like, Oh, what the fuck you racist. Uh, and then she was all like, quote, the media continues to lie about a fake story. They do this all the time to smear people like me and divide the GOP. I'm one of the proudest members of the Freedom Caucus. I don't need another caucus, and this is an attack on HFC, just the House Freedom Caucus. So she's denying that she actually tried to tried to start this caucus. Problem is, uh, before she had actually said that, uh, her spokesperson Nick Dyer. Confirmed that it was true. (laughs) Um, He said to people, quote, be on the lookout for a public release for the America First Caucus platform when it's released publicly very soon.
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) And so she was called out for lying and she tried to pretend like, oh. No, no, no. This was this was a rogue staff issue. Like my staff did this. I I wasn't there. I was I was at my dad's funeral. Um th- this this is what they did. This is what they said. This wasn't this wasn't what I said. <laughs> if you actually believe that if, if any of you hear her say that and you actually believe her, there's a really nice bridge on Mars. <laughs> I would love to sell you.
1: Oh yeah, that is just crazy. Just learn anything <laughs> about her, and you know that that, like, she just lies, lies unabashedly. It's awesome. Well, congratulations to Marjorie Taylor, Jewish Space Lasers Green, for being our Ass Hat of, of the Week. week. Okay, so for our third segment tonight, we are planning to talk about religion, which is a hot topic, for sure, um, and is, is, as we were planning for this pod, we kind of realized that it's a topic upon, you know, upon which we have both evolved a lot, and, yeah. um, and you know, our views may or may not be the same, so yeah. I'll, I'll leave that cliffhanger there
0: yeah and honestly, I actually am not I don't know sure, if because this is' the, yeah, I don't this is the type of thing that Michael and I used to talk about a lot when we were kids. Like the conversations that we would have about religion are part of what inspired this pod in the first place, mm-hmm. and we realized that it's been years since we've actually talked to each other about what our religious views are, Yeah, and at the same time, uh, we haven't done it on the pod yet,
1: yeah and so welcome guys if you like these kinds of conversations then uh then this is some of what we talk about on the uh the spectrum after hours which is what we record after the show and then post for our patreons to listen to uh for our patrons to listen to so if you like this then you'll love that
0: that's very christian of you
1: thank you. well <laughs> i find that in my behavior i often am <laughs> yeah so why don't we start off by kind of saying what our beliefs are, and then maybe we can expand that scope to talking about religion in general.
0: Yeah. So Michael, why don't you go first?
1: Okay. I am an atheist. I don't believe in a deity at all. Um, I used to believe that that gave me a special knowledge about the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I, I don't really believe that anymore. But I I have never um, believed in a, a God of any kind. Um, I was raised in a non-religious household. Um, and yeah, we never really went to church. It was never really a component of, of my life or upbringing. And so that's, you know, the most salient reason as to why that is what I believe. As with most of us, I believe what my my parents believed.
0: Yeah. So, I grew up going to a Unitarian Universalist church, which, for those of you that are unfamiliar with Unitarian Universalism, it's kind of what I like to call disorganized religion. Hmm. The idea is there are, there's a set of principles that we all follow. Like, one of the, the, the first one is the inherent worth and dignity of all people. Um, and the common theme throughout each of them is a focus on social justice a focus on, um, on spiritual growth together, but not necessarily on the existence of a deity. Mm-hmm. So you can be a Unitarian Universalist and not believe in a deity, or you can be you, you, and believe in a deity. Um, the idea behind Unitarian Universalism is basically that uh, we are all basically the same. Like, there mm-hmm. is, un- there can be universal salvation mm. In our in our own, it's like um, it's
1: in the name. It's in Unitarian (laughs) Universalist. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, And 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 the funny thing is, I I went to the Unitarian Universalist church most of my life, but I didn't really internalize Mm. what it meant until I got to college.
1: Welcome to religion. (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah so so basically my own my own development was when i was really young i considered myself a christian because my mother was like my mother's a christian my my father's an atheist and i considered myself a christian until i was like 13 or 14 um and then i kind of did a 180 and became kind of like like what michael had talked about a militant atheist who was just like i think i'm better than everybody because i'm an atheist yeah and I was kind of a dick about which it. Which is a very teenage attitude. Yeah, definitely a very teenage attitude. And I actually remember um, one of the things that was really nice when, when Michael and I were growing up is that, I mean, when you do grow up in an area like we grew up, which is very rural, very religious. yeah. Sometimes that militancy and that sense of superiority is part of what gets you through it. Mm. Because you constantly have people saying shit like, oh, you're, you're a terrible, horrible sinner. I, I, yeah. I once had a girl straight up tell me, well, you're ungrateful. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I remember, and- I remember I was called randomly in the middle of the night when I was like 10 years old. And it was this guy that um, I knew from ho- some homeschool activity who had tracked my number down through like three levels of mutual acquaintances to try wow. to convince me over the phone that I should s- be saved. Um
0: that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah.
1: And at one point he was like, Well, have you ever stolen? It's like, No, not even a paperclip. I borrowed a paperclip. Well then you're going to hell. <laughs> and it was like, this is not gonna work. <laughs>
0: yeah. So what's interesting is like I'm like Michael and I often ranted to each other, yeah. when we were when we were kids about this stuff, and we were like two of the only people in the area. Well, and of course, uh, uh, Michael's brother Taylor, mm-hmm. um, that actually, like, felt like we, we were on the same page. But I, I I don't know what what led to your your evolution on it, but my evolution definitely was from my philosophy teacher, yeah, back in uh, back in school. What what did what because because nowadays I I've kind of internalized more of the unitarian universalist ideology mm-hmm. and i really have gotten to the point where i really just do not care what you believe mm-hmm. i mean as long as you're i mean i'm int- well okay i should say i care in a sense that i find it interesting yeah like i find what other people believe interesting but i don't really care about changing a person's uh, religious beliefs so long as those beliefs don't hit back on the happiness of others
1: yeah so I was, yeah, so to be clear, I was, like, never interested in changing anyone's religious beliefs. Partially, that was the arrogance. Partially, that was, like, well, I mean, hmm. like, like I'm not going to waste my time trying to, to, to change your cockamamie beliefs. It was an incredibly disrespectful perspective. Hmm. Um, but also, yeah, but also partially, it was that I didn't, I don't know how to argue against... I mean, you. Ca- the thing about the thing that is really challenging about religion, if you're trying to argue against it, is that it isn't based in uh, logical relationships the way that arguments, in a way that the arguments work on. You know what I mean? Like, you can't. It's not. You. It doesn't have to be internally consistent. It doesn't have to be externally consistent. There's no. There's no logical argument that can argue out of re- a religious perspective.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so to me, at the time, that realization was it meant that that religion itself was an irrational pursuit. And and in that it, it meant to me when I was younger that that meant that it was bad, that anything that any, any rationality in us, uh, I believed was a weakness of our beliefs, a weakness of our minds and would eventually crash up against reality itself and would lead to a problem. Um, and now, again, also, this is a pretty narrow conception of religion, and I think the widening of religion is one of the major things that led to my evolution and my beliefs. So I it was very much the belief at the time that, like, religion was something like Christianity, Islam. Those were pretty—or, uh, uh, like, Judaism, those, those things. And, and so two things really changed my perspective. And one— was how important and and powerful and beneficial religion is to many people. That it provides a way, as we are all seeking, to make sense of the world. And I had always focused as an atheist on the times when that led people to do terrible things. Because if you're trying to argue against religion, that's where you look. But in everyday life, it often teaches people to do very good things and when they don't do very good things it's a it is actually against the, their belief in their religion so so it's it's when they're weak in their it's it's when their actions don't follow their beliefs that those yeah. bad things happen and the second thing was a, a development in my understanding of what constituted a religious belief so taking apart the the ident- the uh, definition of religion is like an organized group but more about like the belief in something that isn't like like provable so more like like more like belief in a de- deity or something like that. yeah And what I realized was that I was brought up with a religion and that religion was objectivism. It wasn't that I escaped the belief in it wasn't that I escaped a belief that was not rationally connected to reality. It wasn't that I escaped something that made sense of the world to me and helped me like learn about the world and understand it better. It was just that mine wasn't led by a preacher. And so something like in in my, to my perspective, like if uh, the measure of a goodness or the badness of a religion is how it, what actions it leads people to take. And so like it doesn't matter if, like, it, you believe in crazy stuff, similar to you, like, it, it's okay. Like, if it is good for you and leads you to be a fine person, a good person, that's cool. And, and importantly, it doesn't take much of a widening lens to realize that, like, belief in private property is a similar type of intersubjective reality that we all yeah. agree on and make up. And that's how it defines our world, yeah. and so like, I had no intellectual superiority. There was no real way in which my beliefs, as unprovable as they are, were fundamentally different.
0: So, how would you say that the concept of objectivism is like as unprovable as religion? Because, like, I, mean, I I guess, like, ultimately,
1: it, it, ultimately, objectivist arguments have to appeal. the the natural like naturism fallacy like what is natural is good okay so like like ultimately i have not found a explanation of the world explanation of the um of like morality and goodness in the world that is more provable than someone made it good
0: (laughs) interesting so it does sound like you and I have kind of had a very similar evolution. Um so I mentioned earlier that the biggest thing for me was this discussion with my philosophy teacher. And so so my philosophy teacher was uh he he was Christian. And I as this, you know, this this freshman, 18-year-old militant atheist kind of asshole and arrogant douche, um came into it thinking, ooh, I'm going to I'm going to one-up my philosophy teacher by, mm-hmm. you know, making arguments against religion and making <laughs> him look stupid. Nice. <laughs> uh,
1: That's always going to end well. <laughs>
0: yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and, and the thing is, like, this was probably one of my... This led to being one of my proudest moments, not because... I proved him stupid because he proved me stupid and I acknowledged it. Mm. Like I realized, holy shit, mind blown. Mm-hmm. So basically here was the argument that was made. Cause, cause I, I, I had made the argument of, um, like, uh, how can anybody believe in, um, in religion? Like, what is the point of it? Um, why is like, there's, there's absolutely no proof of religion. There's bad shit all over the world. There is like, there's no reason, there's no good reason why anybody should have any form of religion. Mm-hmm. And so the argument that he made was basically like, okay, well, let's, let's walk through this. So what do you base your morality on talking to me? And I was like, well, I, I base my morality on the idea of virtue, right? Right. Hmm. You know, virt- Interesting.
1: Retro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, well, That's like, very Aristotelian of you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I was a huge fan of Aristotle, so, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, it's about finding virtue. It's about being virtuous. And he was like, okay, so virtuous is a concept, right? It works outside time and space. It's like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a concept. You know, people have to think about it, but it's intangible. The idea of virtue is intangible. And he was like, so how would you divine ver- define virtue? And I was like, well, virtue is basically, you know, all that is good. Like, it's it's doing good in the world. It's doing things that are good for other people uh, and good for yourself. Um, you know, it's the embodiment of all that is good. And he was like, okay, so, so then you would say that under your ideology, the most important thing is for someone to live a virtuous life. It's like, yeah, exactly. Is it possible to be perfectly virtuous? It's like, well, no, of course not, you know, because we're all... We're all imperfect. We're humans. you know. We're, we're chaotic. Of course we fall short of living truly virtuous. It's like, okay, but you still want to try to live as virtuous as possible. Like, yeah, of course. Of course. And again, virtuous is an idea that works outside time and space and that it exists even if there's no one around to think it. And I was like, yeah, I'd say so. All right. What do you think God is? And I was like, what? It's like, <laughs> Christians think of God as working outside time and space as a, as a, a, as a personification of a concept that embodies all that is good, mm-hmm. all that is righteous. The ultimate strive of any good Christian is basically to live a God-like life or to, to, to embody the teachings of God, to, to be like God, you know, be like Jesus and to live a good life based on that principle. Now they can't perfectly do that because humans are imperfect. But they still need to try as hard as they can because everyone falls short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. So who are you to call virtue what I call God? And who am I to call God what you call virtue? And I was like, fuck
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's really that's a that's a pretty compelling argument.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like ever since then, uh, yeah, ever since then, I was just like you know that, that the idea of unitarianism the idea of we're all really the same like when we really when we really do break it down when we really do think about it i don't personify virtue in my head but who am i to say somebody can't yeah sure like if that is how they create virtue within their life through the personification of a deity who am i to say that they're wrong to do that Sure. and if that is causing them to live a better life, causing them to be kind to others, to be good to others, who am i to say they can't do that. Now, of course, it's corruptible. But i've met a lot of asshole atheists too. <laughs> like i've met a lot of asshole christians and a lot of asshole atheists. Like you can be an asshole whether you're religious or not.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Now, now i'd say there's like there's one really important thing that i want to Call out about that anecdote and and the important analogy that it has, I think, for all religion and all human minds, and that is that what your professor did was measure the um, validity of another belief against the validity of your belief, right? So yeah. all it has, to, all he has to do is prove that your beliefs are similarly irrational. <laughs> <laughs> but. And and and, and the, the what I want to call out is not that not the virtue of rationality, not like that like that all beliefs have to be perfectly rational. But I think I think a great human weakness, and one that gives rise to filling in the blank on answers that we don't have on questions we don't have the answers to. I'd say that is a huge challenge for humanity and human minds. We want there to be an answer and we want to know it whether we actually know it or not. And so like, I would say religion has a great place in, in the mind, in society, in, in, in the world, depending on how it manifests. But ultimately, we can never replace what's in front of us What we can what we can do our best to know is true with something that we know that that we definitely know or that we definitely don't know is true.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that that comparison is one that is, I think, a big weakness of a lot of um, a lot of strongly held, loosely based beliefs. And one that as humans, I think we should, we should try to resist. And so I think religion is great. And when it bumps up against reality, reality must win.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, and, and and I would actually argue that, I mean, yes, throughout a lot of history, religion has butted heads with logic. Has butted heads mm-hmm. with reality. Yeah. Um, and it often is on the basis of you know, well, God tells us this. But what's interesting is most of the time, logic wins. Yes, and and the way they rationalize it is basically like oh well okay we thought that this practice was good but look at all the harm it was causing god yeah. wouldn't want to cause this harm so you know we're going to say that you're fine like like for example they you know they used to try to um they used to try to baptize fetuses jesus like so that way if you know there is a miscarriage they, they wouldn't really, go to hell yeah and eventually like after they kept killing the mother and and the fetus During these processes, they realized, you know what? Let let's say that you know,
1: babies, yeah, fetuses don't go to hell. Yeah, (laughs)
0: like like let's, yeah, let's, let's big idea, guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I like. There's no way God would want us to do this shit. Yeah, you know, so so yeah, they they've done really stupid things, but I do think that a lot of what ends up getting built around religion and and the ways in which religion evolves is very much based on logic Hmm. um sometimes it might be slowed down but that doesn't mean that logic has no place in religion yeah
1: all right and with that we will end our episode on our highlights so nathan what is your highlight this week
0: my highlight this week is i am officially fully vaccinated oh congratulations Um, And I have to say, uh, God, it sucked.
1: mean, the second dose?
0: The second dose kicked my ass. Like, I I got no sleep that night. I was feverish all day. The next day, I was drowsy. According to Jess, I was delirious. Um, (laughs) It was rough, but I am fully vaccinated, and I can now safely hang out with other friends that are fully vaccinated and i don't have to worry as much about uh getting about getting covid and i was thinking like if this is like if this is how shitty this is imagine how shitty the actual virus must be Mm -hmm. and i am so fucking glad that i i don't have to deal with that um so i am you know it was it was a shitty day but i could not be happier that i went through it
1: congratulations dude that's amazing what about yours for me, oh, good question. I don't know. There are so, so many good things. Uh, I think my highlight is that I don't think I'm going to have to work this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which will be nice. And with that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week.